Today we're going to be hearing from the Apostle Paul. I'm going to read the entire first chapter of 1 Corinthians. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him, in speech and knowledge of every kind, just as the testimony of Christ has been strengthened among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you may be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. By him you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom, but we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce to nothing things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, 
who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. When my wife Kirsten and I were young, when we were newly wed and just starting seminary, like many people, we ate a lot of beans and rice. It filled us up. It was rib sticking. And it was very affordable on our tight budget. I know that many of you have same, the same memories from your early years. We also ate a lot of a barley schmat. That's what our friends called it. If you've never heard of barley schmat, it's really easy. You take one cup barley. You take three cups of water, dissolve a bouillon cube in it, mix that together in a casserole dish, put a lid on it, bake that sucker for one hour at 450, and voila, barley schmat. Salt and pepper to taste, and it took a lot of salt and pepper to get that stuff down. Every six or seven weeks, Kirsten and I would treat ourselves to uh, something that we enjoy to this day. We would go to the only coffee roaster that we knew of in the Twin Cities, and we would buy for about $1.50 a fourth of a pound of fresh roasted dark coffee beans. It was such a treat because the rest of the time we were reusing our Folgers coffee three, four times till that last pot looked like um, dish water. So it was quite a blessing to have that fresh roasted coffee every now and again. And long before Starbucks and Caribou coffee shops appeared across the country, Kirsten and I talked about how marvelous it would be if in every community there could be a little coffee house where people could go and enjoy good coffee, not the junk we were drinking at home, and a pleasant environment, maybe with some classical music in the background, just a place to rest, refresh, and, and gather in a nice environment. Little did we know that 16 years later, we would have the opportunity to fulfill that dream. We didn't have any cash to make the dream come true, so I went to the local bank to talk about a, a business loan. And I'll never forget the banker said, so, so what do you have uh, for cash on hand? I said, nothing, nothing. Well, do you have any investment properties? No. What do you have co for collateral? I said, I don't have any collateral. He says, well, you have a house? I said, yeah, but we're making payments. Do you have a car? Yeah, I got a Suburban with like 240,000 miles that's got more rust than paint. Well, that's your collateral. Thank the Lord we didn't lose the house or the Suburban. We built the coffee house, and um, I'm happy to report that it's still going strong to this day. As owners of that business, some of you can understand this because you own or you work in small businesses. Kirsten and I did 95% of the work. I'd get up at 3.30 every morning, head down there and start baking bagels, cookies, assorted pastries, and then about 30 minutes before we'd open the doors at 6 a.m., I'd start brewing that day's assorted roasts of coffee and priming the espresso machine. Kirsten would get the kids off to school and then come down and relieve me sometime between 7.30 and 8 o'clock. And then I'd leave her there, and then I'd go to my real job as a pastor of a local church. And then, um, you know, after some very long days, 
we would find ourselves back at the coffee house nine, ten o'clock at night, washing all the cups and plates and getting everything ready so we could get up and do it all over again the next day. Uh, ours at the time was the only coffee house in the entire county, and it was very popular. And during the peak business hours, the lines got really long, so we had to hire some people, baristas, to help Kirsten. And we had a lot of people applying for jobs, um, students and a lot of moms who wanted part-time work. And we were very selective on who we would hire. And, you know, we were living in a small town, and I didn't realize how difficult that would be. I mean, the people who were hired were really happy. The people we didn't hire, they, they, they were upset. Some of them held a grudge. And that was a small town where everybody knows everyone, and word gets around fast. And then after hiring, the people we thought would be best, even then after training them and showing them how to be good baristas, we had to have the talk with some of them were, were chronically late or who would show up for work looking like they just crawled out of bed. We even had to let one young lady go because even after we talked to her several times and gave her a warning, she just, she just wouldn't listen. And that didn't go over too well in that small town either. But we needed people working there. We hired people who cared about good coffee and quality control and quality service. We wanted people who cared as much as we did. And so I know exactly Kirsten does too, what, what many of you uh, go through if you're small business owners. I've talked to people in this congregation and throughout the community who said at least pre-COVID, the hardest thing about having a small business was, was finding people who actually had a good, solid work ethic. And one gentleman told me that out of every three people he hires, he has to fire two of them before the first 30 days are over. And he said some of them save him the trouble because they quit after a few days because they think he's really demanding, expecting them to show up for work on time and put in a full day. I hope you understand that um, God has not hired you I want you to, to ask these theological questions of self-reflection this morning in light of our text. Did, did God ever hire you to be a Christian? Did you have to fill out some lengthy application and then find three personal references who would vouch for you before God would take you on? Did you have to successfully complete a 90-day probationary period before God would let you stay on permanently? And all those times, because we're honest here at Faith, that we sinned in thought, word, and deed by what we did and by what we left undone, did God have to uh, let you go and give you a pink slip? I hope you understand and I hope and trust that you appreciate the wonderful truth, the gracious fact that you and I are not hired by God. We are called, and that's not just semantics. We are called by God through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we can't take credit for this calling. Paul makes the point crystal clear for all of us that it's by the Lord's undeserved calling that we have been made his own. He asks the Christians in Corinth to consider their calling to follow Jesus, which had nothing to do with their qualifications. It had nothing to do with being wise or worthy or powerful or clever or high-ranking. 
God didn't hire the Corinthian Christians and God didn't hire you or me either. In fact, the word that we render, that we translate into English as church, has everything to do with God's calling. That word is ecclesia. It means called out. God has called us out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. God has called out your name and claimed you as his own in mercy and loving kindness. You didn't interview for this. God didn't hire you, and he certainly didn't hire me. If you were hired by God, if you were hired by God, well, then you could rightly speak of your um, on and off-duty hours, right? You could serve God when you were on duty, and then done and done, end of shift, I'm out of here, now I can go do what I please with the rest of my day. But when the Spirit gets hold of you and you begin to understand that this life we share in Christ is 24-7, then we understand calling. And we understand that there will be situations that come up when we stand in the gap, when we serve the Lord, when we do what's right for the neighbor. Well, yeah, when it's inconvenient. And we'll be called to do things that are even sacrificial for Jesus who made the perfect sacrifice on the cross. And here's another reason. Thanks be to God we're not hired. There comes a time in every person's career when their effectiveness starts to diminish. In some workplaces, employees are even required to retire when they reach a certain age. Folks no longer have the stamina, the energy, the attention to detail, the eye-hand coordination, the manual dexterity to keep working successfully, let alone safely, doing the same job they did so well and so proficiently 10, 20, 30 years ago. So if we were hired by God, there would come a time when the Lord would have to say, hey, sorry, got to let you go. I got to move on to someone younger, bigger, better, faster, smarter. But since we're called by God, we're in ministry until our final breath. And you and I are God's servants, even when we can't do all the things we once did so easily. I got to tell you, some of the oldest Christians I've known throughout my ministry were the ones who learned to take their calling in Christ most seriously. I knew a woman in a previous congregation. She was such a faithful, called minister of Christ. She lived in a nursing home. By the world standards, you know, they would say, well, her better days were behind her. She's not much use anymore. She just lives in a retirement center. But that woman was a prayer warrior. And that woman had the sweet, significant, powerful ministry of encouragement. She would take our church directory and starting in the A's, pray for every member by name until she'd reached the end. And I'm not talking about God bless, you know, Joe Smith. I mean, she spent time in prayer for each person by name. And when she got to the end of the directory, she'd always contact the church 
to see if there were any updates or changes or if a new directory had come out because she wanted to pray for all the people who joined that congregation in the last year. And then she'd start that prayer ministry all over again. She took time to write a handwritten note and put it in a card in the mail for all the high school students in the congregation. She was homebound, but her ministry was profound. And looking back, I can see now that she did more as an elderly widow in a nursing home than, than many people did in terms of ministry, half her age. She may have retired from her vocation, her J-O-B job as a teacher, and her years, you know, as a mother were long gone. Her kids were fully grown with kids of their own living in different states. But she knew that God wasn't done with her. And she knew that God's calling on her life was lifelong. So, last week we voted overwhelmingly in favor of calling Pastor Mark Bahana to become our next associate pastor. Interesting, isn't it, that we formed a call committee, not a search team you know, or a hiring task force. We called Mark to join us. We didn't simply offer a job. Now, like you, I've had plenty of jobs in my life. From my first ones as a kid, you know, shoveling snow and washing cars and mowing lawns. Uh, I think my going rate for mowing a standard lawn was $1.50. That makes me old. From there, I, I moved on to my jobs, you know, in, in factories and construction. I don't mind telling you that when I was in seminary, I cleaned toilets to put beans and rice on the table. <laughs> and then that job, you know, owning a coffee house with Kirsten. But my calling in Christ is different. My calling in Christ to be a servant among you servants is categorically different. If it wasn't for God's calling on my life to be a pastor, I would have walked away from this a long time ago. Without God's grace, I couldn't do it. And the call committee talked and prayed with Pastor Behenna. And they asked him questions you're not even allowed to ask in other settings when it comes to job interviews. They made sure that he had a calling from Almighty God to serve among his people, serve among his people. And they made sure that he understood what it meant to be called to come and join us, to become one of us. The call committee wasn't looking for someone who just wanted a new job. God has called through you, Jerry, to be our next senior pastor. God has called through you, Mark to be our next associate. These are not merely jobs for these two brothers, but it's a calling on their lives. And don't think that I'm setting pastors up to be something special. God's calling on your life, your ordination in holy baptism, where the Lord set you apart, is 24-7. You might be able to leave your office at the end of a workday, but you can't leave your identity as a called child of God locked behind that office door, or tucked away in the cubicle. Or if you're working from home during these COVID days, you don't simply, you know, log off in the Zoom meeting and, and cease being a Christian. That identity is with you every day, every night. When it comes to our jobs, we can, you know, go off duty when the shift is over. But 
When you're in Christ, you're always on duty. And here's the thing about the Lord. Why it's so good we're not hired. Even when you neglect your duties to God, even when you forget your identity as his son or daughter, even if you turn your back on God, he's always there to welcome you home. He's always there to forgive your sins. He's always there to help you get back on your feet and point you in the right direction. God is always there ready to love you as if you, ever, as if you never stopped loving him. It's been a long time since those early years of bean rice and barley schmat for Kirsten and Bruce Wilder. I haven't made any barley schmat in a long time, and I don't intend to anytime soon. But I'll tell you, we still enjoy beans and rice, not because we have to, but because we actually like it. And unlike those early years in St. Paul, Minnesota, now we can put on our beans and rice 505 brand salsa and fresh fire-roasted hatch green chili. Am I making you hungry? And besides, I learned later in life, beans and rice have all nine amino acids and make a complete protein. Who knew? I didn't. Those early days of our marriage are 40 years and counting behind us. But the same God who served a very young Bruce and Kirsten then still calls us to serve him now. And the same is true for you. The God who knew you in your mother's womb. The God who died on a lonely cross for you. The God who calls you by name is not done with you. And when you reach the end, and remember, Remember last week when Pastor Behenna talked about that beautiful Hebrew word for breath, ruha? You can't even say it without thinking breath. Ruha. When you reach the end, and that final breath is taken. Surprise. God is there and will call you. Again, he will call you home. May the peace that surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus until you see him face to face. Amen.